Welcome to Sermon Audio from King Street Church, where it's our purpose to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. For more information about our church, please visit our website at kingstreetchurch.com. So this morning, as I just mentioned in the prayer, we are in James chapter 1 still. We are in verses 9 through 11. 9 through 11. The title of my message this morning is Glory in Your High Position. And that word glory there is a verb uh, in that title. And that will come out, I hope, as you see in this text. James 1, 9 through 11. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass. And its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. So this morning we're coming upon a concept in the Bible that is vitally important to how you live your life. It's a concept about how you will evaluate yourself, how you'll view yourself. And I know that while many Christians live their lives saying that they belong to Jesus, there are internal and external battles all over seeking to destroy your confidence in that reality. We live in a world today that makes it incredibly difficult to not view ourselves in terms of our financial status. And today's text is a command to never boast in your stuff, but to boast in your God. It's a challenge to not boast in your position in the world, but to boast in your position in Christ. That's that's the main point of the text in James 1, 9-11. To not boast in your position in the world, but to boast in your position in Christ. In James 1, the context is all about trials. And it seems to me that in the midst of trials, it becomes crystal clear whether or not we evaluate ourselves in terms of our identity and our finances or our identity as God's children. Because those with little can often be tempted to have a view towards riches. If only I had this, if only I had that, if I had this job, or if I had that outcome, then things would be better. There's a temptation to seek meaning and safety and refuge in money in the midst of a trial. But at the same time, the rich also have a temptation. They have a temptation to trust themselves when a trial comes. I do have this. I do have that. I do have this income to count on. I can count on this over here when things get difficult. And our text this morning calls us to never seek our worth and our identity in the things of this world. Whether you're poor and you desire them or you're rich and you trust in what you already have. Our text is an answer to the longing of both the poor and the rich. It's a text to the longing of the poor because it tells us you have something to glory in even when you have very little. 
And it's an exhortation to the rich. You have something to glory in even when your riches fade away. We must boast not in our position in the world, but our position in Christ. That's the point. And so this morning, I'm going to address four things in our time together. First, we need to define the terms that are used in the text. Because before we can act on it, before we know what to do with it, we have to know what it means and what it says. So we have to define the terms. The next thing we're going to do is look at the poor man who glories in his high position. The poor man who glories in his high position. Third, we'll look at the rich man who glories in his humiliation. And then to end, we'll just consider a few implications of the whole passage putting it all together. So let's begin first by defining the terms that James uses. Because some of the phrases that are used in James 1, 9 through 11 might seem unusual. We can't move forward until we know what they mean. That would, that would be like trying to understand a map without knowing where you are in the map. When you look at a map, it's helpful to see the dot that tells you where you are so you can make sense of it. Or it would be be like trying to follow road signs that are written in other languages. And so to get to our destination here at the end of this text, we have to know what some of these unusual phrases mean to help us navigate the journey through this passage. So to begin, the first question I have is, what does it mean to glory in something? Here's verses 9 and 10. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. What does it mean for someone to glory in something? Now keep in mind that this is the same word used here in, in James 1.9. It's the same word that's used all over the New Testament. And usually it takes on the meaning of taking pride in something or boasting and something. So let me give you a couple of examples where this same word to glory shows up. It's translated differently, but it's the same word in the Greek text. So here's Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The word boast in Ephesians 2 is the same word for glory in something in James 1. You're saved by grace. You're not saved by works. Why? So that you will not boast. Another example is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29. And in this text, Paul just finished explaining to the Corinthians that God has chosen the weak things. He's chosen the foolish things in the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. And the question is why? Why has God chosen to save people through foolish messengers foolishly preaching a foolish gospel? Here's his answer, 1 Corinthians 1.29, so that no man may boast before God. And so when James talks about glorying in something, he's talking about 
boasting and taking pride in it, elevating it, basking in it, making much of it. That's what James means in our text. Which leads to the next two terms that we need to figure out and to define in our passage. Because we need to ask the question now, what does James tell us to boast in? Because the two examples I just read in Ephesians 2 and in 1 Corinthians 1 discouraged boasting. Salvation is by grace so that no one will boast. God has chosen to save people in such a way that no one can boast. But now James is telling us to boast. And so we need to figure out if there's a contradiction here. Do I boast or do I not boast? And if I can boast, what can I boast in? And what can't I boast in? So let's read the text again, verses 9 and 10, James chapter 1. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. So those are the two phrases. High position, humiliation. And you sort of have a play on words going on here. You have the man of humble circumstances being contrasted with the rich man. And James calls both of them brothers. And so that leads me to think James is talking about rich Christians and poor Christians. He's contrasting the two. And the poor Christian is told to boast in his high position. It seems Strange. And the rich man is called to boast in his humiliation, which also seems strange. And our job is to figure out what does it mean for the poor to boast in their high position and the rich to boast in their humiliation? And how can we do this without being sinful? Because we're not supposed to boast, are we? So just think with me. On the first one. The poor Christian is told to boast in his high position. And I think whenever we read that, it's extremely helpful for us to ask a very simple question. What would the high position of a Christian, a poor Christian, be? Because it couldn't be a high position in government, could it? If this person had a high position in government, they wouldn't be poor. And it also couldn't be a high position within societal ranks. Because what poor person holds high positions in society? In business, in academia, whatever it might be. What you come to realize is that the poor don't usually have a high position to boast in in terms of the world's goods and the world's means. But James is telling us that they do have a high position to boast in that is otherworldly. So while Christians with very little in their bank accounts hardly have any worldly status, they do have a high position as sons and daughters of God. That's the idea here. And they're called to glory in their high position. And in the same way, the rich man is called to boast in his humiliation. And so while the rich man may not have humble income checks coming into their bank account, the rich Christian has come to know humility 
which is where we get that idea of humiliation, because they've tasted the reality that the goods of this world are bitter, that they don't stand the chance. They've come to realize that they are no longer dependent on the things of the world because the world's goods are all vanity. And so their bank accounts can't save them. Their homes can't protect them. They've come to realize that only Jesus can. And while they might have all kinds of money to fix all kinds of problems, they've come to know that they are absolutely dependent on Christ for everything. This is their humiliation. And they're told to boast in their humiliation. And so this answers our question. What is James telling us to boast in? He wants us to boast the poor and the rich in our position in Christ. Not our position in the world. We're to boast in our position in Christ. Not in our position as being rich or being whatever kind of achievement we've made in this life. And this is not a contradiction in the Bible. For instance, 2 Corinthians 1.17 says, He who boasts, same word, is to boast in the Lord. In Galatians 6.14, Paul makes it even more clear. But may it never be that I would boast. So there's Paul. May it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, the world is dead to me. There's nothing to boast about in the world. Not my money, not my possessions, my fame, my accolades, not my skills, not my own inherent goodness. So may it never be that I boast unless I boast in Jesus. So Paul said. Romans 5.2 uses the same word, but it's translated differently here. We exult, we boast, we glory in the hope of the glory of God. So our exultation and praise and boast should be in our position in Christ and the glory that awaits us when we meet Him face to face. My boast will no longer be in the glory of fading and dying treasures. This is the message of James 1, 9 through 11. It's not that the Bible tells us to never boast. Because God knows that we'll have something that we hope in. Something in our lives that we make much of. Something that we worship. Something that we elevate. Something that we make and turn into our masters. But Jesus tells us, can't serve Two masters can't serve God and money. And James is saying, if you don't have a lot of worldly possessions, if you're a person of humble circumstances, if you're not rich, maybe even if you consider yourself poor, don't make much of out of getting more and more possessions. Make much of your position in Christ. And if you do have a lot of worldly possessions, don't make much of your status in this world. Make much of your status as a Christian. I think we'll tend to either one of these two things. And sometimes we'll go back and forth, especially in the midst of trials. We'll either be looking for our hope in the possessions we currently have or looking for our hope in possessions that we hope to achieve. We'll either find our identity 
and being poor and viewing ourselves through that lens or find our identity in being rich and viewing ourselves through that lens. And so you have to ask yourself the question and check your heart on which one this is for you. Do you spend a lot of your time complaining about your low status in the world? You're not recognized. You don't have the success you wish you had. You don't have the accolades you wish you had. You don't have the money you wish you had. When you think of yourself, and this is primarily how you evaluate who you are, you are forgetting your high position in Christ. Or do you take a lot of stock in your wealth and in your property and in your achievements? You sort of rely on them. When you think about what, what defines me? Well, I'm, I'm this. I've achieved this. I've obtained this. If that's the case, you're forgetting your status as a dependent child in Jesus. So this passage is teaching us to boast, not in our position in the world, but in our position in Christ. And so now that we've seen what the text means by understanding those different phrases. We can meditate on each command separately. In verse 8, James tells the poor Christian to boast in their high position. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And so I just want to make a few observations on this point. And first is this. The Christian of humble circumstances is not encouraged to boast in getting more things or to find their identity in getting more things. That's not what James points them to. James is concerned with truly helping the Christians that he's writing to. He knows that it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He's aware of the words that he's about to write in verses 10 and 11 that the rich man and all of his pursuits will fade away like scorched grass. He remembers Jesus' teaching to store up treasure in heaven where worms do not destroy. Why? Because all the treasures here on earth will be devoured by worms. And so James is not the least bit concerned with pushing poor Christians to boast in something that will ultimately leave them empty. He wants to really help them. The second observation is this. The Christian of humble circumstances does have a high position. Currently. Now. I know it's not something that we like to admit, but it's, it's hard to live in this world, especially in America. And to not evaluate ourselves based on what we have. And if we have very little, don't we notice that the kids in school have newer and nicer clothes than I do? Or maybe you notice that the people you grew up with, the ones that you were friends with in high school, you look on their Facebook pages, you see they have higher paying jobs than you. Some people live in certain neighborhoods and have success and comfortable stability, it looks like, by the look at their their yards and their houses. And therefore, those people, we assume in our minds, those people must be better 
They, they really have their act together. We're evaluating them in terms of their finances. And the claim that we never struggle with this is probably a lie. How easy is it for the child to go to school feeling like there are different classes of people? How easy is it to live in one neighborhood and feel jealous that people in the other neighborhood are more successful? How easy is it to look at your friends on Facebook and seeing all their life updates and feel like and they've, they've really made something of themselves? What have I done? How easy is it just to drive down the road and see the homes of people and, and wish and aspire that it was yours? Even as a Christian, you can walk through this life feeling lower and lesser and least important because of what you have in terms of material wealth. It's tempting to evaluate ourselves based on the world's goods. I don't know if you've ever read the book, When Helping Hurts, but it makes a particular argument about poverty. And while poverty does include a lack of material things, it also includes a poverty of spirit. It includes a sense of feeling like a castaway, a view of the world that I'm not important and that my life isn't worth as much in the eyes of the world because no one's noticing me and taking care of me and looking after me. Well, James, James has a true and real word for Christians of humble circumstances who genuinely feel that way. You are a somebody in Christ. You do have a high position in Christ, regardless if anyone in the world recognizes it or not. And while the world has its classes of people, God has his classes of people, and they're primarily broken up into two. Children of God and enemies of God. That's how God sees the world. And while the world often looks at the poor with scoffing indifference and disgust, the poor Christian has been received as a child of the Most High. So James might be saying to these people that as people who look like you should have nothing to glory in, as people who look like you should have nothing to boast in in the world's eyes, you already possess the greatest thing that there is to boast in. Friends, you will often experience the temptation to view yourself and to define yourself on the basis of what you have and who the world says that you are. And one of the hardest things to do is to walk through this world being told that you're nothing and to remember that you possess the highest position as a Christian that anyone could attain. There is no corporate ladder option that reaches the heights of being a child of God. There is no salary that compares to the worth of knowing Christ. There is no house that is as grand as being a member of the household of God. There's no picture-perfect family that compares to being adopted into God's family. There's no retirement fund. There's no savings account that you could have that could ever measure up to the glorious and eternal inheritance that you will receive when Christ returns. James is urging us to never lose sight of that. To believe it. To preach it to yourself. 
to make it your boast, make it the greatest thing that you consider about yourself. That when you think of you, you don't think of you in terms of how the world evaluates you. You think of you as a recipient of grace. You think of yourself as a recipient of God's kindness, as being a child of the King. And you make that your boast. That's how you portray yourself to the world. Before anything else, this is who you are. Final point on poor man boasting in his high position is a word for unbelievers. If you don't know Christ and you're striving to work yourself down to the bone, you're doing this to receive something that you could simply have by faith in Jesus. You're searching for a type of fulfillment that cannot be found in what you are doing. And this is primarily, friends, an issue of love. Because the fundamental problem in our hearts is that we've exchanged the creator for the creation. And so naturally, what we've done is we have established a world system that thinks the highest position is the one who has more of the created stuff that we worship. Because they have the most things in the world, they must be the best off. But dear friends, what if you could have the creator of the world? What if you could worship the God of the universe while people worship their pieces of paper with faces on it? What if you could be a son or daughter of God while others attain to heights of CEO? What if you could have eternal joy and satisfaction instead of temporary pleasure? So can't you see that one of these positions is held up by weak people who say, wow, this is great. This is the best we have to offer. And the other is handed down by God himself saying, you are my child. Surely it's a higher position to be a child of God than to be an owner of a company. Therefore, if you're seeking greater and fuller satisfaction, you will not find it forever and always by obtaining a position in the world's eyes. In fact, you may never even obtain that position anyways. But you can obtain the position, the highest possible position, by becoming a child of God. And that can be obtained this very morning. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. The one who died a death on the cross in our place, taking our sin upon himself and paying for it with his blood. This is a high position through Christ and through what he's done on the cross that we can have our relationship restored to God. That's the greatest position that no college degree can help you achieve and that no climbing the corporate ladder will ever help you reach. You can only get it this way. Through faith in Christ. You can only get it that way. And when you do, you'll have something to glory in forever. Now, not only are the poor called to boast in their high position, but the rich are called to boast in their humiliation. And a few things can be said on this point as well. First is this, that The rich in Christ have been humbled by knowing the vanity of the world. In verse 10 and 11, the rich person is told why they ought to boast in their humiliation. And the key word is because. So here's verse 10. The rich man 
is to glory in his humiliation. Why? Because like flowering grass, he'll pass away. In the next verse, in the midst of his pursuits, he'll pass away. So the rich man is going to pass away. He'll be brought to nothing in terms of worldly riches because the worldly riches are not eternal. And so the rich Christian has come to learn that the world's goods are vanity, that they can't save, they can't give eternal joy. And so they know not to boast in those, but to boast in what truly counts. They learn humility in this way. What the world thinks is greatest about them, they see as nothing. The second observation is this. The rich man has also been humbled through his position in Christ. Primarily through his dependence on Christ. You know, there's a battle in our hearts every day for who we are going to trust and who are we going to consider our greatest hope. And the world is going to push us to make more money, to save more money, to achieve greater status, to purchase bigger things, to acquire greater wealth. But the rich brother or sister in Christ has come to know humility because maybe they used to trust in themselves. Maybe they used to trust in their finances, but now they've come to the realization that those things ultimately, ultimately mean nothing in the kingdom of God. You can't purchase your salvation. Is there any greater lesson on humility than learning dependence at the foot of the cross and rejecting dependence on yourself? Is there any greater school for learning our inability to save ourselves than picking up the Bible and reading that we are dead apart from Christ? And so a rich person knows that the riches themselves will die, but they also know the riches are doubly useless in the hands of a dead person. It does nothing. And the temptation here is to find one's identity and their position in the world, to find their worth In the midst of their wealth. But James says, don't boast in things that are going to pass away. Like flowers and grass. Boast in what has humbled you. Boast in your weakness, as Paul said. Boast in your total dependence on Jesus. Boast in what your riches could never buy for yourself. What a strange spectacle that would be to the world. To see a rich man who only takes pride in what the world calls foolish, even though they have what the world worships. For everybody to look at that person and saying, you have what I want. And for them to say, what you're looking at is not what you need. The rich man is called to think of himself and his identity, not in terms of his wealth, not in terms of his success, Not through the lens of what he has gained in the world's goods. So if you have a lot in possessions, which relative to most of the world, even in America, we do. If you have a lot in terms of possessions and you think of yourself mostly in those terms, mostly in terms of what your bank account says and what your job situation is like and what your wealth is and what your skills are, then we need to learn, once again, to boast in the greatest part of our identity. There's nothing wrong with having the job or having the money if used faithfully and biblically. 
But what's wrong is considering those things to be the greatest part of how we view ourselves as people. James wants us to boast in our position in Christ. And so we've seen the poor man ought to boast in his high position. And the rich man ought to boast in his humiliation. And so as Christians, we should boast, not in our position in the world, but we should boast in our position in Christ. That's the point of James 1, 9 through 11. I want to close our time this morning with an additional implication in our text. Because there's a wonderful and beautiful reality that's interwoven into this passage. And it's going to go through like a thread throughout the rest of this book, James. And it's about the church. This is a great lesson that we can learn ourselves. And it's the idea that there are no distinctions between the rich and the poor at the foot of the cross. There are no distinctions between the rich and the poor in the family of God. One is not greater in importance than the other. They have both found their boast ultimately in what? In Jesus. And while they approach it from different angles, and while they approach it from different numbers in their checking accounts, they both recognize that their total dependence must be in Christ, not in the riches that they currently have or the riches they feel tempted to seek. So while the world might have neighborhoods that are divided by socioeconomic class, the church should have nothing to do with these kinds of divisions. I know of hardly anything more beautiful than to see people of different means come together and worship God as a family. Is there anything more clearly unifying in the church than people who the world says are a world apart from one another, yet they find more unity together than with people in their own tax bracket? If one thing is certain about our society, and all you have to do is turn on the news or open up Twitter... It's that there's a lot of defining one another and putting each other in boxes because of our differences. Financially, racially, politically, even medically now and scientifically. But dear friends, the church is called to be a picture to the world of how enemies can become family members. And that's ultimately because we as enemies of God had a gracious God who came down And purchased us on the cross. And so the rich and the poor all fall down as dependent and broken beggars. Having nothing in their hands to bring to Jesus. And we all now in Christ possess the greatest treasure in the person of Jesus. And that's who we will possess forever. And so friends throughout the rest of this letter in James He's going to be addressing relations between the rich and the poor and the church. You're going to see this multiple times. But the foundation is laid down here at the very beginning. The poor Christian is defined by their position in Christ, not their position in the world. The rich Christian is defined by their position in Christ, not their position in the world. Which means in Christ we are all defined by the same thing. And so our boast should be the same thing. And friends, when our boast is in the same Jesus, not in our different circumstances, we become a picture to the world that shares the worth of knowing Jesus above everything else.